electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. a business idea for you. I'm going to take out loans to rent a bunch of apartments around the world. Two-year leases. Then I'm going to decorate them with a super cool modern vibe, snacks, premium soaps, entertainment spaces, and then Airbnb them by the week and a half week to vacationers and business travelers for less than they'd pay for a hotel room. But wait, you say. You're signing up two-year leases and only getting commitments in the days and weeks. What if the economy goes bad? What if your landlords raise the rent? What if you try to grow too fast and your loan payments go up? Funny you should ask. WeWork's parent company just filed for an IPO this week, and WeWork's business model sounds a lot like the one I just described, only it's office space, not apartments. So is it a good bet? Welcome to Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I am John Fort from CNBC here at the NASDAQ market site overlooking Times Square. Joining me from a space CNBC leases at One Market in San Francisco is Casey Newton of The Verge. We're going to talk WeWork. We're going to talk Viacom, CBS, Disney, Fox, Yahoo, Tumblr, Twitch, Mixer, all kinds of things that come in twos. But first, WeWork. Casey, you hate this company, don't you? Well, <laughs> I mean, their, their <laughs> physical offices are very nice, but you read this S1 and it, it's sort of hard to understand how this is still going to be a company in six or seven years. I'll tell you, John, for me, the big red flag was when the CEO sold the majority of his stake before the IPO. Never a great sign uh, for investors <laughs> that the CEO is already trying to get out. Uh, the model, though, the way I described it, it's... It's actually not that far off what WeWork is actually doing. They've got, in a lot of cases, 15-year leases uh, on these spaces. They don't actually own the buildings. They're renting the space. Then they're fixing it up and getting companies in, sometimes for leases by the month, sometimes by the year. I mean, oh, my goodness. Yeah, not only that, they have almost $50 billion of lease payments that they're now on the hook for. And this is a, a company whose losses doubled last year to $900 million. So I don't know where the $50 billion is going to come from. That uh, apparently million, they started at L. That was just last quarter. They're, they're at one last quarter, I'm sorry. $4 billion for the first six months of this year. <laughs> Yeah, but on the other hand, they've apparently started up an elementary school. So let's hope that tuition there is really expensive to start uh, making those payments. And let's hope they teach arithmetic. Okay, so, <laughs> so they're backed by SoftBank, though. SoftBank, Vision Fund, big company. They've made some good bets. I mean, there's got to be a best-case scenario here where it works, right? I mean, um, they've got a lot of funding. They've got a lot of money. They've got these spaces. They've got some big enterprise tenants in these spaces? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there's like a version of this company that had expanded much more slowly, that had take on, taken on much less debt, that had not tried to expand into so many other verticals so quickly. Uh, you know, I think there's probably some sort of arbitrage game to be done inside the commercial real estate world. But of course, if you're doing that, then you're just a boring old commercial real estate company and SoftBank doesn't want to hand you a billion dollars every time you run dry. So yeah, I think there's probably some really great commercial real estate businesses that you could build. It's just that the Wii company hasn't seemed interested in building any of them. Yeah, I, I get cynical sometimes. It's a, I don't know, a challenge that many of us journalists have. And this one got me thinking because you can't help but think, I mean, you, you see what the market's done this week. Uh, maybe we're kind of nearing the top, if not at the top of an economic cycle. We've been on this bull run in the markets for a long time. And we've got this gig economy thing going on. Lyft and Uber had their IPOs not too long ago. And it, it's been this whole idea of the gig economy but it's got me thinking maybe a lot of these companies are, are more about making money off of other people's stuff, right? Mm, I mean, yeah. we talk about, but really it's like Lyft and Uber, you bring your own car, Airbnb, you bring your own apartment. Uh, you know, <laughs> with, with WeWork, they're kind of leasing the space that somebody else owns and trying to make money off of it. I mean, I'm not saying all these business models are the same, but maybe... Cynically for me now, we've been categorizing them wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the other way of looking at that is just that there are a lot of underused assets out there, right? Like most people's cars sit unused for the majority of the day. Why not, you know, give a couple neighbors a ride and make a little bit of money off it? So, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, totally cynical on the gig economy, I guess. But what I will say is that the economics of these businesses have not turned out to be all that great, right? Lyft, Uber also having massive losses this year. And so I think it's raised some questions about whether all these conveniences that we are enjoying, whether it's at WeWork or whether it's inside a lift, are just uh, sort of being supported by venture capitalists who are hoping that the economics magically work out before the money runs out. Yeah, the money's not the same in all of other people's stuff. I mean, if my car is just sitting there, it's not being used, then making some money off of that is one thing. A whole building that someone would otherwise be leasing, that somebody's got to make rent payments on, and then, I mean, that, that, that's a whole different economic argument, it seems to me. But let's move on. Let's talk CBS Viacom. Uh, it's a big story this week in the media, reuniting uh, of these two companies, and uh, not too long ago, it didn't seem like this was gonna happen because the hugely respected Les Moonves of CES didn't want it to happen. And then he wasn't hugely respected anymore. When people learn more about what he's really been up to outside of just content and his job, some really awful uh, sexual harassment and other uh, allegations um, around that. So CBS Viacom. Um, I'm not so sure these companies belong together, but I guess in a way for Sherry Redstone, who's uh, heading up this whole thing, it's, it's, it's good news. Sure, and I think that for, for both CBS and Viacom, this was a case of looking around the room and suddenly feeling like one of the, the, the smallest kids at school, right? Everybody else has gotten so big so fast and seem to have a lot of 
tech advantages that are going to put them in a better position over the long term. So you have these two companies that have been variously together and apart and together and apart, <laughs> and uh, they decided to you know flip the switch that puts them back together again, and we'll see uh, how that works out for them. I'm not sure if this is like kissing cousins or if it's like this toxic relationship of people who keep breaking up and getting back together again. They're <laughs> yeah. calling it Viacom CBS this time instead of CBS Viacom. It's like, no, no, it's totally different. We switched the names around. Uh, SpongeBob is sort of their flagship character. I don't know, Yeah, Casey, I don't know. Yeah, I think it should be pronounced Viacombs, right? Like, wouldn't that be easier on all of us? That's, when I saw it, that's what I thought. When it, when because they're yeah. calling it Viacom CBS and like all one word, no slash, no hyphen, anything like that. Right. I thought it was like Sean Combs' new name. He went from like P Diddy <laughs> to Viacombs. He should think about right. it. Sell a little <laughs> yeah. vodka with that. I don't know. You guys at the Verge know a lot about me. selling vodka. We, yeah, we've we've moved a few units of that over the years. <laughs> All right. Now, at the same time, Disney reported earnings just a few days ago, and I don't know. Maybe there's a little schadenfreude in here. Comcast, the parent of CNBC, the network for which I work, was really trying to get Fox, didn't get it. It went to Disney, but boy, a stinker this quarter. Fox's film studios had an operating loss of 170 million dollars, blame Dark Phoenix among other movies for that, whereas a year ago, it was 180 million to the positive. Now granted, this buy, the value in it, was not supposed to be just that quarter's movies. It's the whole film library, the streaming thing. But Casey, these, these M&A deals, not always as clean as they look on the day of the wedding, right? That, that seems fair, but also, like, do we really think that Disney isn't going to figure out the X-Men? You know, like, uh, like D Disney is the right home for, for the X-Men, and, you know, they may have had this one lousy quarter, but I don't know. As cynical as I am, I have a hard time believing that uh, those folks at Disney aren't going to figure out a way to make a, a few billion off of everything they bought over at Fox. You know, also, like, movies are a, are, are a hits-driven business. You, you know, it, it, you can't predict uh, which movies are, are, are going to be hits and, and which are going to sink, so... I don't know. This, this one feels like something we should give a, a few more quarters to before we write it off. For sure. Maybe, maybe we've got a little library envy. All the other media <laughs> companies looking over at Disney with Lucasfilm and Marvel and, oh my goodness, just, you know, e even Frozen's coming back at the end of this year. What am I forgetting? There's another big, uh, Pixar. Oh yeah, that little one yeah. that, they, that they picked <laughs> up. Um, pretty amazing stuff. All right, Casey, time to get some digits. It's a few numbers that caught my eye this week. Siri, give us a first one. $1.1 billion. $1.1 billion. That's how much Yahoo initially paid for Tumblr. Went for $3 million just a few days ago. Casey, how did this happen? Uh, all the users drained off the platform and they were never able to build an ad business that scaled. And so next thing you know, there's no value in the platform. I will say I'm sort of surprised Verizon didn't just kind of announce that Tumblr was ending and it was maybe somewhat benevolent of them to find a buyer for it, even at a fire sale price. Yeah, I mean... One of the storylines that I've seen out there on this was, boy, Tumblr should have stayed independent. They would have been better off. But I don't know, because a year before Yahoo bought Tumblr, 
Facebook bought Instagram for about the same amount of money. And I, I think part of the rationale for Tumblr linking up with somebody else was, I mean, kind of similar to what we were just talking about with Disney Fox. It's hard out there for a small player, not sure whether they could have pulled that off. I mean, even Twitter has been through the valley of the shadow of death during this time period. Yeah, and I think people forget that Tumblr was very near death before it sold to Yahoo. It was burning through money so fast. Like I've read reports that suggested it only had a few weeks of cash left in the bank. Now, I'm sure some investor would have stepped in and given them a loan, if nothing else, but they were having a really rough time of it independently. I think the question is, and I have talked to folks there who have said, look, we were working on a really cool ad business, and the problem is that Yahoo came in and immediately wanted to sort of graft its own ad business onto Tumblr. Mm -hmm. uh, you can still find folks at the old Tumblr who will say, hey, if they left us alone for a little bit longer, we would have thrived uh, inside of Yahoo. And this is Marissa Meyer trying to use Tumblr as kind of high-octane gas in the tank for that business. Didn't exactly work. But another piece of this story is that Tumblr uh, was kind of old. I mean, in the same way that Facebook was kind of old, they had a legacy desktop web browser, kind of PC web browser business as the age of mobile was coming on, Instagram didn't have that problem. They came in as a smartphone first, mobile first company, insisted for the first years of the company that they wouldn't even have a web browser based presence. So Tumblr was sort of in decline and the browser and the rise on mobile at the same time. That's exactly right. You know, my view is that every social business is basically a fad, and so it is incumbent on the business to sort of invent a new fad every six months or a year. And Tumblr just got really stagnant, right? I, I'd be hard-pressed to name a feature that Tumblr had launched in the last three years. So, you know, if you don't do that, your users are going to drain away. And as you mentioned, they were already caught in that hard transition between desktop and mobile uh, that almost no one survived. And there's also people saying that if they had just stuck to porn, Everything would have worked out. Casey, when, yeah, when businesses sure start relying really... on porn, I mean, it's, it's all over. Yeah, I mean, like, porn was nothing but losses for Tumblr the entire time. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sure it attracted a few more eyeballs to the, the platform who might not have been there already, but I don't think Tumblr was making much money off of them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on. Next digit. 340%. 340%. That is how much Roku stock is up since the start of the year. Granted, there were a lot of people who were kind of lukewarm on Roku. It was one of those companies that Fang was going to kill, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Um, Netflix was going to kill this one. Etsy was supposed to get killed by Amazon. But then people have started to realize, hey, there's room for some of these fringe players, even if they aren't going to be as huge as some of their rivals, people are talking about Roku as a way to play this coming streaming era where the giants are getting in. We were just talking about what CBS Viacom, now Viacom CBS, has to do to make this merger work. Streaming is a big part of that. Disney coming out with Disney Plus later this year. Apple coming out with Apple TV Plus. I mean, all of these if you want them, you got to get them somewhere, and Roku is putting itself forth as the neutral party. You think it can work? 
I actually do. I'm pretty bullish on Roku, and it's a company that I completely dismissed for most of its life for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. And then I bought a new TV last year, and Roku was the operating system. And now whenever I pause a video for long enough, I see some ads for something that Roku has just put on my TV. So I've almost be I've become a moneymaker for, for Roku unwittingly. <laughs> um, and yet I think that sort of helps to explain why this company's stock is up so high. They've been really good at signing those TV partnerships and kind of becoming one of the, the major operating systems for most of the TVs that people are are buying these days. If you go to the wire cutter or a site like that, say, hey, tell me the best TV to buy right now, you will probably be buying a TV with Roku on it. That's been huge for them. I actually just bought a Roku stick, the, the plus one that they've got. It's only about 60 bucks, I think. I had an Amazon Fire TV stick that I was using for a while, but it was way underpowered. Uh, just using it in the basement. It's pretty good, Casey. I mean, and, and I've got an Apple TV upstairs. See, I, I'm kind of an all-opportunity platform guy when it comes to TV. Got an Apple TV upstairs. That's fine, but those suckers are expensive unless you've yeah. got a whole library of Apple content that you just have to stream. And plus, Apple's coming to other platforms now. I mean, that's kind of in Roku's favor, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I think the the question of like who owns the the TV, it, it's a story of defaults, right? You've got Google, Amazon, Apple. They all want to sell you a dongle that plugs into your TV, and Roku's <laughs> happy to do the same thing. But Roku, uh, in in my case, is just baked into the TV, and I think that's where the real power is, and where they've been really smart at just making sure that when you buy a new TV, you never think about it, you never had a choice to begin with, you just turn that thing on, and you're a Roku customer. You said dongle. And that word is going to come back. It's going to come back for us in just a moment. Once again, this is Fort Knox. Rich ideas, powerful people. We're talking about what well, we talked about. We work. We're talking about media. Uh, and now it's time for hard knocks. A few of the tough takes in tech this week. First up, Samsung releasing the latest edition in its flagship smartphone series this week, the Galaxy Note 10. But remember when they made fun of Apple for not having a headphone jack? Can I still use these headphones with the TED? Yeah, but you'll need an adapter, or as most people like to call it, a dongle. A what? A dongle. A dongle? Yeah, a dongle. It comes in the box. But what if I just need to charge at the same time? Then you're going to need another type of dongle. Like a double dongle? Yeah, a double dongle, I guess. That sounds explicit. Get used to that dongle word, Samsung fans. Galaxy Note 10, no headphone jack. Casey, can you believe it? I can. You know, I mean, this is probably one of the easier things to see coming in the world of tech over the past few years, right? Like, there's very few stories more common than Apple doing a thing one year and then Samsung doing it the next year, right? Like, this is why I'm bearish on Samsung. It had one really good idea a few years ago, which is you should make phones a bunch of different screen sizes and let people pick the amount of screen they wanted. That was hugely profitable for them. But then once Apple started introducing phones in, in different sizes, it seemed like Apple, or it seemed like Samsung had run out of ideas. So yeah. the fact that Samsung eventually caught up to the fact that wireless uh, ear, earbuds and headphones are generally a better product experience, like that does not uh, seem like a big surprise. Casey, I'm going to confide in you here. I'm going to admit something. I don't have a dongle. I What? I hate dongles. I do. Like, <laughs> I've, got, I've got this iPhone here that doesn't have a headphone jack. I use Bluetooth uh, earbuds, but I refuse to do the dongle. You? Do you dongle? Uh, 
I, I mean, I, I think I'm like most people where I initially got some dongles, used them two times, immediately lost them, and then in a state of complete exasperation went and bought some AirPods, right? Like, so uh, yeah, Apple has been very creative about removing features that then led you to go spend another $170, $200 on AirPods that you will then also probably, you know, lose within six months. And I'm sure Samsung will argue they have pioneered uh, kind of wireless charging so you don't have to use your dongle. Speaking of dongles, let's talk Twitch and popular video game streamer Ninja. Ninja left Amazon's video game mostly streaming platform to stream exclusively on Microsoft's relatively new streaming service, Mixer. So what did Twitch do? Well, they accidentally used Ninja's old page to re redirect viewers to other content, including a porn stream. Twitch has apologized for that mix-up. Uh, Casey, this has been big for Mixer in the sense that their downloads spiked once Ninja moved from Twitch to Mixer. Uh, lots more people at least checking them out. Uh, is this a new, fr I mean, we, we, talk, we talk cloud wars all the time on CNBC, kind of AWS versus Microsoft's Azure. Here, we've got a new type of war between these two platforms in video game streaming. How interesting can this get? I mean, I just love the, the savagery of it. Like, oh, you want to leave the platform, Ninja? Great. We're going to associate your brand with hardcore porn and try to steer people to all other manner of channels, uh, you know, rather than have people, you know, uh, just see a, a note that says defunct account. So, look, I do think that we're going to see some competition here. I think there are a lot of smart people who believe that people watching video games is actually the next big thing in the video game industry, obviously to some extent already is, but I think you're gonna see it transform the, the kinds of games that get made even more than that's happening already, right? Like Fortnite is a video game, it's also a place where 12 year olds hang out after school, and uh, that kind of dynamic means that there is a big opportunity in creating the streaming platform where everybody is hanging out to watch those games. So I think it was a coup for Microsoft to go and get the most popular Fortnite player in the world, even though it seems like they paid a lot of money for the privilege. Um, and I suspect it won't be the last time we see another one of these kind of high profile poaches and maybe some, you know, shenanigans on the back end. Verge, The Verge is big on culture in tech. It's, it's, it's one of your calling cards. I'm wondering what you think about the fact that we just had this Fortnite World Cup um, where this guy won, I don't even remember his name anymore, but he won like $3 million, something like that. Ninja was in it, didn't win, but he has this big contract from Microsoft now, moved from Twitch to Microsoft, making millions upon millions of dollars, one of the best known streamers in the game, arguably the best known. I mean, his traffic on Twitch, his views were multiples above the person in second place. I mean, to me, that says something about the streaming game itself, what it takes to really uh, be a big personality. It's not just about the points. This isn't gymnastics. You don't have to be Simone Biles to win in video game streaming. It's becoming an art form, right? 
Absolutely, and I think it takes a lot of savvy on the part of the, the streamer, right? Like, there are clearly a lot of intangible factors here. What makes someone interesting to watch? Ninja got famous because he was so creative within Fortnite. The things that he could do and the speed at which he could do them and sort of get himself out of impossible situations, win games that it seemed like he was about to lose sort of made him famous. But then he did really successful partnerships, like the, the moment that the pop star Drake came onto his stream, I think is one, still one of the biggest moments in the history of Twitch, if still not the biggest, just in terms of how many concurrent viewers he had. So he was really smart about understanding what made him successful, but then also, you know, getting himself next to mainstream celebrities that could give him a lot more crossover appeal. And I think that if these other streamers kind of want to play in that ballpark, it's not enough to just win a tournament. Like you have to turn yourself into a full media personality. And I just love that you just called Drake a pop star. I mean, he is, but you know how rappers yeah. hate that. I just, uh, I yeah, you're right. I, I, my apologies to Drake. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, he's the most, he's the most popular streamer on Spotify. So, I mean, when you're popular, that's pop. That's right. It is. All right, Casey. Yeah. Thank you once again for being with me this week. Be sure to read Casey on the verge. I do follow him on Twitter at Casey Newton, read his newsletter. It's gold. That'll do it for this week at Fort Knox. We'll see you next week. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox series on LinkedIn. That's brand new and a great way to keep up with the trends I'm seeing both on this Fort Knox show and in my other work on CNBC. That's also the absolute best way to be in touch with me. Leave a comment on the series. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. Matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of these conversations. Or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured area. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.